Hey, Phil. Hey, Senda. Do you want to engage in a lively discussion centered around the topic of providing descriptive narrative? Oh, okay. So we're going to be wordy tonight? And welcome to another episode of Pandas Talking Games. I'm one of your hosts, Phil. And I am your other host, Senda. And tonight's topic comes to us from GM Gerrymander via email who says, How do you encourage players to be less vague in their actions? Lately, I've seen a lot of players, instead of being obvious in what they want to accomplish, state their actions in a way in which it's not always easy to tell exactly what they're trying to do. As a GM who tries to be a fan of the PCs, I want to give them a chance to try something, but these sort of vague actions make it tough, and I see other GMs suffer through this too at conventions and some game days. It often comes off as if the players are trying to trick the GM, which is always silly because even if a GM agrees to an action, if she feels tricked, she can always ramp things up or change. Or as if they're trying to fool the rest of the party to go along with something, or they're trying to create a sense of mystery that often just comes off as pretentious. So Jerry is asking how to get characters to be more descriptive when they're describing their actions in the game. Yeah, so there's there's two things we can discuss. The general lack of details and descriptions, which is actually what we're going to base tonight's show on. And then the other part is to kind of follow up with the rest of Jerry's email about players that are trying to be vague in their descriptions to the GMs and fellow players. Uh, and this one's actually a bit simpler. I don't even think we need a whole episode for this. Right. So what's basically happening is if that if you are purposely being vague, so you're just like, if you're not failing to be descriptive, like you are purposely being vague, then you are either trying to be clever and out with the GM, or you're trying to do something that you don't really want your fellow players to catch on about. Right. right? So you're and trying to be clever. We've talked about trying to be clever exactly in which case just stop <laughs> yeah don't right the advice for this players is easy don't do this <laughs> one you're not being clever two if you're trying to pull something over on your party you're just going to piss them all off and then you're going to wind up getting killed and you're going to be grumpy that your character got killed in bottom line of this is that in role-playing games we are working together to create a great story and hiding your actions, be it from the GM or from the other players, is working against that. You are swimming upstream when you do this. You are you are not being uh, open, which means that people aren't going to want to trust you. Um, you are being um, vague, which is kind of boring, and no one likes vague like no one likes vague playing, let alone like vague casting or anything. So no one likes vague playing anyway. <laughs> so just don't like just. Don't. And if you're a player and see another player do it, call it out. Like, just turn to the other player and be like, dude, just say it. Like, it's fine. Okay. Yeah. So I think that, that funnily enough, I think that you could probably also get some tips for managing this particular kind of player out of some of our um, other episodes about managing player behavior when they do weird things and don't trust the GM or work against the party. Um, specifically, the one that comes to mind is the one about lone wolves. 
Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Because that's totally a thing that that kind of player does. I'm mysterious. <laughs> All of my actions are mysterious, mysterious as well. Yes. You will never know what I am trying to do until I roll and succeed, and then I will tell you, ha-ha, I have succeeded at this thing. Ha-ha. You right, know. get away, get out of my table. Get, yeah, <laughs> leave. <laughs> I, will, I will give you a thousand paper cuts with an index card for that kind of behavior. <laughs> so anyway... We are going to actually take the rest of the show and talk about how to be more descriptive in your actions, which means the first thing we're going to do is dive in to a definition by our definition panda to lay down some descriptions in this definition. Narrative descriptions are the descriptions that a player or GM gives when describing an action in a game. So they range from being very terse to very verbose. So, for instance, being very terse, uh, I move up 10 feet and attack. Where you could be verbose and have fun with it and say, with my sword in hand, I run head first at the orc, sword trailing behind me, and then I leap into the air and I come down and swing down upon his head. Yeah, see, now both of those convey the player's intent, right, to move and attack, Mm -hmm. but the verbose one is more evocative. Giving us imagery that we can picture in our heads. And since role-playing games are games that exist in a shared imaginative space, having more verbose descriptions is helpful for maintaining that space and maintaining your connectivity to that space. Right. But so not all games enforce these kind of descriptions, although most of them encourage them, right? So when we talk about enforcing verbose descriptions, we actually mean mechanically. So a lot of the games that we would label as um, like traditional, which would be like your Pathfinder, D&D, Savage Worlds, they don't attach any actual mechanics to the act of describing things or being descriptive in your actions. Right. That is, you don't need to be verbose to carry out the action. And the consequence of the action doesn't depend on your description as much as it depends on the action you took. Right. So like Pathfinder, right? I have played a lot of Pathfinder in my time. So if we use our example of moving and attacking that we went through above, in both cases, the actual end result, we're going to move 10 feet and attack, which engages the combat mechanics. The result of that combat mechanic is either a hit or a miss, and All that we actually require to adjudicate what just happened is the roll, and then we move on. Yeah, I mean, you either Yeah, you either hit him or you didn't. It doesn't matter if you say, I attack, or um, I boldly slash my sword across him. Like, whatever you say, the actual end result is the same. So let's look at another example. Let's look at Dungeon World. Yeah. Yeah. So if we're going to continue with our move and attack uh, example, in Dungeon World, you actually can't engage a move until you meet the requirements. So in the case of hack and slash, you can't meet the narrative requirement until you describe that you are attacking an enemy in melee. Now, to be honest, in our above descriptions, if I was a lazy GM, I might allow the terse version Probably not. The book goes to some length to encourage, not only encourage, but to make you, to make players like actually describe their actions. And the reason for it is less for triggering a move and more about what happens once the move has been triggered. So see, when you wind up getting like a seven to nine or even more importantly, a six minus, what happens next in the move is based off of 
what has already been described. Now, this is even more important on a six minus where the GM has to make a move from their prescribed list of moves. And they really need to select what they're going to come up with based on what the character was doing. Right. So if you do the really terse version, I'm going to move forward 10 feet and attack him, right? Like we really don't know what that player was actually going for. We had, we don't have any details. So the options of how you can use the moves are super limited. So um, like deal damage is the only one that you can just be like, yeah, sure. He's going to hurt you. Right. Without any yeah. further description. Like that's the one, the only one that you can really just latch on to. Right, but with the but with a verbose description, like the GM has like some material to work with. Right. So, um, with our more descriptive attack, using that description, you could use turn their move back on them, and so you could say, "Yes, the orc catches the character midair and then throws them at the wizard." So now the character is traveling at the wizard through the air, sword first. Time to make a defy danger roll, wizard. Uh-huh. Yeah, like. That's much more interesting. Way more interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just is. So that was the long route to say that games that mechanize narrative in the game require more descriptive actions so that there is an active narrative to work from for the mechanics. Yeah. And yeah. games that don't that don't mechanize narrative don't ha- don't require such descriptions. And if you believe that rules inform play, then narrative games drive towards more descriptive actions in play where traditional games often don't. Yeah, so now, having said that, your individual play experiences will vary. Yeah, which means that somewhere out there, there's somebody who's still playing white box D&D who has been rocking the most amazing descriptions since, like, 1974. Right. So it's important in all kinds of games But narrative games have the advantage of actually enforcing it and rewarding players and the GM, really, right, for enforcing it. Um, Where in traditional games, it kind of has to be done at the GM level, where the GM has to just sort of lead by example and, um, and, you know, reward people at their specific table. But it's a table culture thing, not a mechanical reward situation. Exactly. So... We're going to put aside the description of traditional and narrative games because descriptive narrative is good for any game. Yeah. And uh, we we just want to, you know, use the rest of the episode to encourage that kind of description in all games. Yes. So tonight we're going to do uh, we're going to do our what we do second best, which is we're <laughs> going to look at something from two points of view, uh, not not one shots and campaigns. Right. Because um, you want to use descriptions in both. Thank you. Correct. You, yeah, you just want to use descriptions, <laughs> just use descriptions. In, all, in all sorts of games. Right. So we want to look at this from two points of view. What's the first point? I am going to talk about how, as GMs, we can encourage this description. And what are you going to talk about? I'm going to talk about, as players, how we can get better at giving good descriptions. Yay. So, as a GM, you are in the position to lead the table. And you're working with everyone to make more vivid descriptions. And there's some specific ways to go about this that we're, of course, going to talk about because that is what we do. We're going to describe kind of a layered approach. So, you know, pick and choose here what works for you. You can use all of them. You can pick things out, use some of them, whatever it is. You can stack these all up, right? The first thing is communication. So that is having a conversation as a group um, so that you're clear 
with your group about your expectations and your desire for more descriptive actions in games, right? Give them some examples so that they understand, like, exactly what you're going for. This is all about clarity. And make sure that they don't have any objections to that. Like, there might be a reason that people don't want to play like that. And this is a conversation, so you should, you know. Listen. You should listen. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's a conversation. So, given that everyone is on board for jumping into more descriptive um, language and you've talked about it because it hasn't been happening, the next thing is to specifically set some expectations. So you're going to set those expectations with everyone so that you're all operating from the same assumption about what more descriptive actions means. Right. So take it from me, define it. Uh-huh. Right. Make sure everybody make sure everybody <laughs> gets it and give some examples. Yeah. Um, and you know what? It doesn't even hurt to put this like in a Google Doc or on your campaign wiki or whatever, like someplace where people can refer to it. Right. And then talk about how often you want to see it happen. Yeah, like, I mean, it's not realistic that every description is going to be super verbose. So, like, is it that we really want to, you know, do we really want to just up the description of our actions when we're in combat? Uh, Is it more like combat's fine, but we really want to be more descriptive when we're, you know, exploring in the dungeon? Is it an all-around thing? Like, we just want to be a little more descriptive everywhere, etc.? Yeah. And talk about the times when it may not be necessary, right? Yeah. So like your fourth hour of a high level Pathfinder yeah, combat. Nobody like, cares anymore. Right. Like it like in the first couple, like in the first, you know, like first five or so rounds, yeah. your descriptions are like super, you know, super verbose On and point. cinematic, right? Yeah. But like by round like twenty five, oh. you're just like uh, roll. Uh, I miss. You know, like <laughs> yeah. I'm a move. Right. Move on. Move I'm on. Move Next five g- feet this way, so he doesn't get the attack of opportunity. Uh, ten. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So, so sometimes it may not be necessary, and this, you know, define those again. We're setting expectations. Right. So have everybody on the same page with the same definition and the same expectations, and then you can start doing things like modeling the behavior, right? So that means then you as a GM are leading by example by demonstrating consistently all of the expectations and all of that stuff that you talked about with them, right? Um, So you're using your descriptive examples as you narrate the game and the actions of the NPCs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Live up to those expectations yourself the way that you want your players to also live up to them. And encourage them. This is the next thing, right? So you want to give encouragement because positive feedback makes people happy and makes them want to do the thing. So until they have descriptive verbiage as a habit, you need to encourage them. Yeah, so start your games with a reminder, right? Start with a friendly reminder. Hey, guys, before we start playing, let's all remember that we are working at um, more descriptive combat tonight. So when you're giving your actions, please... You know, go ahead and um, make sure that it's colorful, like that, you know, you're describing what your character's doing and things like that, right? Restate those expectations, right? Because just because a month ago we had a discussion about wanting to, (laughs) you know, add more description doesn't mean everybody remembers it, doesn't mean it gets carried forward to this game. So 
start that like right there, right? Start by encouraging it right at the start of the game. Right. And then the second part of that, which is rewarding that good behavior. When you see the players giving good descriptions, let them know that it was awesome. Bring it up right when it happens and tell them it was great. Bring it up at the end of the session. Like you guys all did a really awesome job with those descriptions tonight. It was really great. Did you like it? It was fantastic, right? And then play off of those descriptions and reincorporate them into the actual narrative. Yeah. See, listen, this is the important part, right? When you are asking somebody to make a change, yeah, the act of reincorporating what they're putting out there closes this loop for people. So psychologically, what happens is I put an in I put an effort to be more descriptive in my actions for the game that Senda's running. Mm-hmm. So I do that. And if Senda never acts on those things, then I'm just like, well, why the hell am I doing it? Mm-hmm. I could just say I move forward 10 feet and, and, and attack. But if Senda, on the other hand, takes what I'm saying and starts using that in subsequent turns or when I miss what, you know, describing things, then what happens is I put something out and I get something back. That's a that's a that's a reward cycle. Yeah. And reward cycles are how we build how we build habits. So you have to do this thing where you reward good behavior. Yeah, it's super important and it works super well. The other way that you can do this is if there is an in-game currency, you can reward players who do an exceptional job with the right. descriptions. So, so for instance, Savage World's bennies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Savage World's bennies are pretty, the rules about how to get bennies are pretty open, as opposed <laughs> to something that's a bit more structured like fate points. Right. So you may not um, wind up handing out fate points like that, but you may do it with bennies, or you might do it with fleeting luck, which is uh, a house rule in DCC, which is like luck that you can spend at the table until somebody rolls a one and then everybody's fleeting luck goes away. Oh, man. Um, that's terrible it's great. and wonderful. It's an, all at the same right. It's time. it's awesome. It's an awesome house <laughs> rule. Anyway, but you could basically be like, "Hey, Jerry, that was an awesome description. Here's a point of fleeting luck." Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, because that again is another reward cycle. Right. It acknowledges I put something out there. I got something back for what I put out there. Therefore, I want to put something out again. Yes, and then it makes it actually like go and cycle. And the last part is. You do have to correct undesired behavior, um, but that's not that doesn't mean punish people, right? Like that doesn't mean that if somebody is like, uh, I'm just going to move 10 feet and then like swing my sword at them and they sort of did a really half-assed effort like that, right? Like that doesn't mean you punitively point your finger at them and like, you know, you suck, you suck at descriptions like no, right? no, 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 no. It just means that you need to take them by the hand a little more and give them a little more encouragement. Well, and aside from being um, a little bit sarcastic when you say it like that, <laughs> the the thing is, um, when we talk about reward cycles, um, there is also a negative yes. cycle, right? Yeah. So if you yell at someone for not being descriptive, right, like it doesn't encourage them to be descriptive, right? It shuts them down. Right. And then you will yell at them again because they won't be doing it. Yes. Right. So we're trying to build, not tear things down. Yeah. So don't think of this as in we're tearing down poor descriptions. We are building up better descriptions. Yes. Okay. So go ahead and encourage them. Don't punish them. So when they come up with a um, 
with something that's flat, just say something like, okay, yes, but tell me what that looks like. Yep. Or, you know, when somebody says, I move forward 10 feet and attack, be like, excellent, good. Before you roll, can you describe that? Like, what are you doing? Right? Like, you can just pull that, you can pull that out of them, encourage. And then when they give that description, go back to the part above, you know, then reward good behavior. Implement the reward cycle. Yes. So specifically, you don't want to build resistance in people. You want to push them gently and firmly into a new habit of describing things. Okay. Yes. So from a GM point of view, we are trying to lead the group into this change, but the GM is not the only person responsible for making this happen at the table, right? Like one person at the table, whether it's the GM or not, cannot make this happen by themselves. So players also have work to do. Indeed they do. So as players, and when we say players, Mm -hmm. we are also including GMs. Yep. But as players, we have a responsibility to ensure fun for everyone at the table. Yeah, and part of that is to be interesting and engaging at the table. And one of the best ways to do that is to be descriptive about our actions. Yeah, so for this last segment, we're going to cover a few things. We're going to talk about how to practice being more descriptive. We're going to talk about how to put it in action at the table. And then we're going to talk about how to moderate it. (laughs) Because (laughs) it's not an always thing. And there's not a good rule, as we'll find out. It's more of an art form. But Uh on to practicing. So the first thing is, in order to be able to provide good descriptions, is you need to actually be good at giving descriptive narrative. And the good part is that, like everything else, um, this is a skill and one that improves with practice. Mm -hmm. So how do we actually practice this? Well, one of the things you can do is start by ingesting examples so that you have a vocabulary of words and like images in your head that you can use to describe things. Um, And then those become like building blocks that you can use to piece together a description, right? Yeah, absolutely. So like watch TV and movies. Like if you're working on combat like more descriptive combat, watch something like 300, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like ingest what's going on. Like look at how the actions are performed and then think about if you had to describe that to a friend who's never seen the movie before, how you would describe that, right? Like that, like awesome, like there's this awesome sequence in 300 where Leonidas they break ranks and Leonidas goes like berserk with, you know, his spear and sword. And it's just, it's amazing, right? Just the, the shield bashes and the way he like stabs people with the spear and then draws his sword and, you know, like hacks a guy's leg off, that kind of thing. Like, it's awesome. And like, you want to be able to have those pieces in your head so that when you're playing you can like recall different bits and chunks from different movies and different media and and put them together in a description. Yeah. And like we were saying, this is a skill. So if you take time to actually practice it, you will get better at it. Um, and that that can be at the table just by, you know, trying to do it more. Or it could be something like, um, I'm going to sit here and really just think about like, what words would I use to describe this? the slicing of the sword through the leg, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
So once you're feeling confident about being able to describe things, then we need to get it out at the table. Mm -hmm. Um, And the good part is that you're going to have as a player plenty of opportunities because there's all sorts of actions going on in a game. So you're going to have plenty of opportunities to bring up your vivid descriptions. You just need to remember to do it when it's your turn. Right. (laughs) And that is the tricky part, right? So we're going to give two techniques for how to uh, help with this. So the first one is a visual reminder for yourself. Right. And I I do this to my son, not with descriptions, but with other things, right? So that's like if you take an index card and write the word vivid on it or, or whatever descriptions, you know, whatever will remind you. And put it at the top of your character sheet or your GM screen so that whenever you glance down to do an action because you need to get those numbers, then there's that reminder sitting right there saying, hey, don't forget descriptions. I I highly recommend if you're going to do the index card, like get like some really bright color, like Sharpie markers. Yeah. Like write the like don't write the word vivid in black marker on a white index card. Yeah. Like write it in block letters with lines coming off of it in like different fucking colors and just like really rainbow that shit up. Um, <laughs> or, you know, like fluorescent sticky notes. Yeah, whatever. Like just fucking vivid, right? Like, right. Like bring make it. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. The second one is teamwork. Right. And so that's where you ask your table to help you. Right. So that's helping um, remind you and police you about that gentle encouragement, like, hey, what does that look like? Oh, yeah, did it do this too? Like, you know, where we can kind of support each other and help build the description together. Um, and and you so you can ask them to ask you to describe something in more detail if you forget, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's the basic idea there. Yeah, and so this two-pronged approach will help you remember, right? So one, we're trying to remind ourselves, and two, we're asking others to kind of keep an eye on us. Yeah. And once you've done it enough times, it'll become habit-forming, and you won't actually really need that many reminders. This is just like how you get started. Right. Because, you know, if you listen to productivity experts, and I do, Mm -hmm. um, some of these things, (laughs) you, you know, after so many times of doing a thing, like you begin to incorporate it and internalize it. And that's what we're trying to shoot for is to get that habit formed. Once it's formed, it's going to kind of take care of itself. Yeah. All right. So finally, moderation. Uh Uh-huh. You don't want to be the person at the table that makes their turn twice as long as everyone else Mm -hmm. uh, because you can't open the door without 30 seconds of evocative description. Yes. You're going to want the ability to be able to vary your descriptions. And you want to make sure that you have like an evoc like you want you want an evocative one that's short, as well as a verbose one when you need it, that kind of thing, right? Yeah. All right. So for instance, let's let's do this um, with three levels, right? We're going to do uh, no description, a short description, a long description. So Senda, give me an action with no real evocative description. Uh, I check the door for traps. Uh yep. Wah, yep, wah. that's yeah, that's pretty plain. All right, so now give me the give me a short one that's a little more descriptive, but isn't going to like make everyone else at the table roll their eyes. Okay, so I'm gonna go up to the door and I'm gonna crouch down and feel along and see if there's traps. Cool. Yeah, I I can see that. Like I can see that in my head. Mm-hmm. All right, now 
now we're going to do the long one because in Dungeon World, I might be having, I might want to hear, or we're doing OSR, okay? Right. And I want to hear what you're actually looking for because I'm going to decide whether or not you actually find a trap based on what you say. Right. So that, and that's different. <laughs> so uh-huh. I'm going to approach the door slowly and cautiously, and then I'm going to start searching it for any traps, and I'm going to start by examining the floor area and the area around the knob for any trip wires. And then mm. I'm going to move to the lock itself. And um, I'm going to look in the lock and verify that there's no needle traps in there. And then finally, I'm going to look for any traps above or below the door on the floor and the ceiling. Or cool. or, or yeah. any like little holes in the walls on the sides, like darts or anything, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So real quick. Because I can imagine some people listening to the beginning of the show might have taken objection. When we said traditional, yeah. OSR games actually play more into this narrative <laughs> like narrative game. Like yeah. like like modern narrative games. OSR games tend to have a little bit more of this because it has no mechanisms. So only narrative works. Right. And that's probably a little caveat. I don't want to offend our OSR friends. When we say like D&D and Pathfinder in the earlier part of the show, we're really meaning more like three, five kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. All right. So anyway, that long one is great. But if this is the 10th door uh-huh. in the dungeon, uh-huh. no one wants to hear this, right? No. <laughs> so the important part is, is developing a sense of timing for when to use the short and the long descriptions. And my best suggestion is that most of your descriptions fall into that short form. Don't mm-hmm. do any in the none, right? Like yeah. do the short form. Yes. And save the longer ones for more climactic moments and critical successes. Now, if the GM wants more information, they can just ask you to switch to the longer description, right? Like you might have started with a short one. Mm-hmm. And I would have said, "Okay, Cool. You're looking for traps. Tell me how you're looking for traps. Right. And then I would jump into the long one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I would, you know, like I said, like you get like find that way to describe things short, but be prepared to kind of go long. Right. And when we talk about going long. What? It must be time <laughs> to close out the show. But before we do, Senda, mm-hmm. tell me about another show on the Misdirected Mark Network. Well, in Bone, Stone, and Obsidian, Wayne and Robert take monthly deep dives into the Dark Sun setting and discuss it across all the editions of D&D. Awesome. And, while we're and, at it, and don't forget... Wait, there's more. There's more, because we are both going to be at the QCC, but only if it kicks. The Queen City Conquest. Yeah. Buffalo's premier gaming event. Yeah, so if you can be... In Buffalo, New York in September, it is a fantastic gathering of awesome people, and it is my favorite little convention. But we got to get it to finish kickstarting so that I can go be a guest at it. So please. Me too. (laughs) Both of us. Who knows? Maybe a live show, but only if Uh it kickstarts. So go check it out. get out there and back it. (laughs) Yes. Say Senda. Where do people find us on the internet? Well, you can find us on Twitter at Pandas Talk Games. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pandas talk games. You can find us in the Misdirected Mark Google Plus community, or you can drop us an email like Jerry did, panda at misdirectedmark.com. And Phil, once they find us in one of those places, what can they do with that information? 
please send us your topics. Sometimes we use your topic in an entirety. Sometimes we just use a chunk of it and run wild like tonight. <laughs> Sorry, Jerry. You'll find out more in the outtakes. Um, but we love your topics. Um, honestly, we're not actually that creative about coming up with our own. So it's way better if you just give them to us and we do them. Yes. Uh, Senda, what else can people do with our social media information? Well, next time you are sitting down at a table and being super descriptive, take pictures of your players being super descriptive as you play that super descriptive game. And then post them on your social media of choice and hashtag them table selfie and tell us about all your amazing descriptions. If you like what we do here elsewhere on the Misdirected Mark Network, please support our Patreon campaign. It's patreon.com slash MMP. Patrons get all sorts of awesome stuff. The bonus outtakes from the show, the after show from Misdirected Mark, song parodies, um, print and play versions of games. Uh, patrons this past month just got Whirlwind Millionaire. Yeah, they did. Uh, the game that I wrote. Yep. And uh, other goodies and stuff like that. Uh, the other thing we like to do is give shout outs to our patrons. We're going to do just a few tonight before we get out of here. Mm-hmm. Kevin Lovecraft, the royal beard. So he uh, is indeed. The Sean Kellys, because why do just why one of just them? just do one? <laughs> it's true. We get both. Two birds with one stone. <laughs> and Fraser Simons. Thank you so much, Fraser. My fellow cyberpunk. You're a fellow cyberpunk. You guys had a good conversation about that the other day. Super nerdy. Super nerdy. All right, Senda, what else can people do if they're already back in the Patreon campaign or unable to back the Patreon campaign, which is also totally fine? Uh, what's a thing they can do that helps us immensely, puts a smile on their face, and it's the equivalent of hugging a warm, squishy panda? A warm, squishy, adorable-eyed panda that looks up at you and then noms on some bamboo? Um, yeah. You can leave us a review... Or a rating on Apple Podcasts or the podcatcher of your choice. Every review we get and every rating we get really does actually help people find the show. We really, really super duper appreciate them. And we love you all for leaving them. Thank you so much. If you leave one somewhere that is not Apple Podcasts, you should let us know about it. Because we're only checking Apple Podcasts. Say, Phil, show me how you're going to start describing that scene where the Baron captures the elf. This show is a joint production of She's a Super Geek and Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Three, two, one. Let's jam. <laughs> I'm watching Cowboy Bebop. Oh, man. <laughs> well, you know, it, by the time I was, I was an old man, by the time you could bit torrent anything. Yes. Like that's, I was Napstering shit. Like that's. Uh, I remember when Nap- Napster imploded. Imploded? I remember when Napster started. Napster was like the Napster was literally like the Wild West. Like people were just like you know running through town, shooting guns in the air and stuff like that. Like bit looting and pillaging. Yeah, yeah. Like BitTorrent became like much more civilized. Like the whole thing became civilized after you know, like by the time BitTorrent came around. But Napster was crazy. Like it was just yeah. BitTorrent revolutionized uh, how we got anime. (laughs) 
anime, porn. Lots of things. I was experiencing anime. You were probably experiencing this differently. What? (laughs) What? You look so fake surprised. (laughs) What? I'm, 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 I am, I am imitating shock and, uh, <laughs> I can see, and indignation. I can see poorly. You're, you're imitating yeah. shock is very imitated. <laughs> okay, yes, I did. <laughs> Just like the song from Avenue Q. The internet is for porn. For, the internet's for the, the internet's for porn. Oh yeah, the I either know porn. it from you yep. or from Emily, so. It seems more likely it's seems me. Seems more likely that it's you, yes. <laughs> I would agree with that assessment. Between your two co-hosts, if one of them was going to make a comment about the internet being full of porn, I feel like it's me. Bloop. Uh, I won't ask. Yeah, you shouldn't. <laughs> Bloop. Anyway. It's a good thing. good thing I like That's you. awkward and fun. <laughs> yeah. That's awkward and fun. Let's go to the Patreon now. So... Anyway, so long story short, I'm really happy you're enjoying Cowboy Bebop. It is like one of the classic pillars of our anime generation. <laughs> well, it's good because I'm I'm uh, I'm like I said, I'm gearing up, right? Scum and Villainy is going to come out and Oh man. One of the options in that game was uh, to play it like Cowboy Bebop and I was like, "Well, I better know what this is." <laughs> Time to get learning. Bloop. I'm digging. Yeah. I'm digging it. 90s in space. 90s in space. 90s yeah, it's good stuff. In the music's um, space. The music's fantastic. I know. Like, I told you. Take a Yoko yeah, take Kano. a moment to just, just take a moment to acknowledge just how badass the music of that. Uh, I know, and you're only like is. three episodes in. Bloop. <laughs> you didn't see what I posted all over Twitter. I was like, well, we didn't have an episode this week. Ha ah, Just kidding. <laughs> see the bait and switch. Bait Nobody likes it. And switch. It's bad. I thought Nobody I would see. It. I thought I was being clever. I was totally being. See clever. what happens when yeah. you try to be clever on Twitter. Yeah, don't be clever. No, don't be clever. Bloop. All right, so let me just put a disclaimer at the beginning of the show, which will be at the end of the show because of nonlinear podcasting. Yes. So I realized after I started writing the episode that uh, Jerry's initial email is a little <clears throat> different than the episode I wound up doing. Uh huh. Um, Because I really got um, hooked on Jerry's first line of his email, which we'll talk about. And uh, hooked on a feeling. All right, see, there we go. Everybody gets a song. Oh, Um, wait, wait. I'm hooked on a waveform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. Okay, now you can continue. Um, Anyway, I got, I got, I got um, caught up on Jerry's first line and a little less on his. other lines. So we just in reviewing the episode realized I'd missed some stuff. So I, I uh, actually put it in. So hopefully it addresses um, all of Jerry's points. Um, some of them very briefly and then others more <laughs> verbosely, uh, which is fitting for this episode as we, as people will have already found out when they listen to the outtakes. Right. Uh, so anyway, this is what happens. Like I get on a roll writing and the show kind of goes where it goes. So Well, that's okay. Do you remember there were like three episodes we did because you were inspired by that one topic that was not actually the topic and then the third episode was finally <laughs> the actual topic? <laughs> remember uh, that? Yeah, that, that happens, right? Like, that's a thing. Um, Just saying. Bloop. 
So anyway, Jerry, I, I hope that overall <laughs> I hit your topic because um, I, I definitely realized as we were doing the walkthrough tonight, I'm like, oh shit, I missed the whole part of this. So, <laughs> okay. Like I literally could have just taken one line of Jerry's email. We could have just we done that just done the first. But we, I mean, we, oh. we could have just done that. We could have just deleted the rest of it and pretended he never said it. Delete, 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 delete. He would have known delete. though. And I play and I played DCC oh, with him. He'd have been oh, like, where's the rest oh, of my email? Accountability. Phil? Accountability right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's a little different. Like Jerry's in my house and shit. Like, <laughs> so we should start recording. Actually, miss my, it's like yeah, we super should, late. It is super late. Are this you ready? This is like a B show. <laughs> oh man, it's bad. Yeah, this okay. is an L show, a late show. Late show. Well, it's like the old fashioned B show. Yeah. Are you ready? Yes. Meow. Meow. Boom. Future Senda, just put the music here like you've done for 104, 103 other episodes. I was going to say. Give or take. Yeah, we're good thing. You wrote all that down because I'm a little bit out of it and wouldn't have been able to come up with something as good as that. I know I can't do any kind of panda <laughs> imitation. Like if I did, like the only thing I could think of is like to fall out of my chair. I know. I don't know. How to, <laughs> like, I don't know what like, sound they, don't, they even I, make. I don't. I don't know what, what kind of they sound do? they make. They make. They make the sound of chewing. Right. And, but, like, and then they and like and they fall down and a lot, flopping they're, over. Right. Right. They're like they're I mean, sound of chewing and falling down a lot is like much of my freshman year of college. <laughs> so it's like. Adorable panda eyes, like, but love me. I am adorable right. and fluffy. It's amazing. They're they're pretty they're pretty magical. All right. Anyway, <laughs> let's get into some definitions. <laughs> that means that you, as the GM, are going to then, sh- uh, uh, what is the word? That's not show. show. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I can use that word, but there's model. Model's a good word. <laughs> Damn it! I don't. There's a word for there we go. Bloop. Like the part delete, where there's delete, just like delete. a silent bit. Delete, delete, delete. Because I don't even know what to say. What no one knows is when we sing the delete song, it's really just like a giant chunk of silence while I'm just like, Bloop. have fun excising that out. Oh. <laughs> So we're gonna do like a stepwise one, right? Right. You, we're gonna. All right. So I. So give me no. Uh, give me no real description. Yeah, I check the door for traps. Right. <laughs> Yawn. Right. Are there any okay. girls there? <laughs> there are. Oh, never one, mind. Yeah. Anyway. Never mind. <laughs> we'll stop right there. Am I getting Bad drunk behavior. yet? <laughs> okay. Bloop. And why does it have to be girls? Uh, anyway, never mind. Mm, stereotypes. Right. Because, you know, odds are there's going to be some dudes there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but he doesn't care about I guess dudes. it won't he be. I guess I guess Cheetos. I guess it's in role playing. You don't say, like, is there any dudes there? There's like some rare occasions where that's not true. <laughs> but there's like there's always a dude there. Yeah, like, we never have to question that. I don't know. Maybe right. in Avanti, there might not be. I feel like. Yeah, yeah. To, maybe not. Yeah. Right. On your show, there's a chance. <laughs> there's a good chance. Yeah. Elsewhere. Right. Okay. Right. Never mind. Anyway, cut all, all right. of this future me. There you go. Hilarity. All right, so. Bloop. Wait, you're a nerd? What? No, no, no. <laughs> much like, much like I told my office, like I'm not a nerd. I'm like the alpha nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Bloop. 
last line's yours. I know, but you were talking. I know, but I left it in black, so I just needed to remind you. Oh, yeah, I know. I saw it, and then it was confused, but then I saw it. Bloop! Show me what you got. 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 Nailed it. Under an hour. I'm going to cut all of that. I'm cutting all of that. I can't even process leaving it in. (laughs) No. What? What? No. (laughs) You're making this a disaster to edit. That's what's happening tonight. You're making this a disaster to edit. Delete, delete, delete. Delete, delete, delete. We should probably we stop. Should stop. Say goodbye. Bye. Bye. Click. <laughs>